Supreme Court justice today. I know. It's official. Uh, it's the last episode of the season. We're drinking champagne. Uh, We're partying. This is the last <laughs> time I'm going to feel woefully un- unaware of what's happening in an episode because yes. of the surprise season. We have some great ideas from our patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our friend um, Joan Santiago sent us some great info on our Instagram, and who I lovingly call Murfetti, but I don't know that if that's how you pronounce <laughs> it. On Instagram, was so stoked about us doing Montessori. Said she got teared up. Uh, I mean, Krista brought it same. up too. I know, right? I was, <laughs> was crying. such a good episode. We were all crying about <laughs> what we learned from women. It was great. It was great, great, great. Uh, just a great penultimate episode. Yeah, uh, this one will be interesting. I'm so excited to hear who you're doing. <laughs> well, not yet. <laughs> not yet. But um, but yeah, but we're not here to talk about past episodes. No. <laughs> we're here to talk about this episode right now on Herstory. On the Rocks. <laughs> With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women uh, from history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. No. <laughs> We're thinkers. Yeah. We live in the world that you live in. With the internet. Same dimension. Um, time the and same space. faulty internet. <laughs> with <laughs> conflicting information, as we'll see in my story. But, <laughs> but... We have a podcast, so you have to listen to us. Exactly. <laughs> so if you want the facts, don't come here. <laughs> Go to Wikipedia. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be a fun night. Allie has made me a cocktail. I'm going to tell me about her person. And then I'm going to make Allie a cocktail and tell her about my person. And it's mm. going to be so much fun. Right. But you're busy mixing your own cocktails. Absolutely. You're trying a new recipe. You're, like, doing all the things. You're zesting. Ooh, you're doing, like, an egg muddling. shake. Muddle. <laughs> this is going to be an intense cocktail. It's going to be, like, the new... What's a really hard cocktail to make? Like a new Bloody Mary if you were making it from scratch. It has so many ingredients. So that you many make ingredients. From scratch, which was why steps. we never recommend doing that. Ever. To just be honest. Buy it. Just buy just the buy mix. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but you're busy doing that. So we're yes. going to tell you what these women look like. We're going to get, get a little physical. Physical. Allie, what does your person look like? Okay. <laughs> I don't think you'll be able to guess who it is, but after okay. you hear her name, you'll definitely know. Okay. My person is very beautiful, in my opinion, and most other people's opinion. <laughs> she has a very long, elegant neck, was very thin, often with her chin held high so she could look down her nose <laughs> at people in the I'm better than you type oh of Oh, my gosh. Um, she acted how she wanted. She said what she wanted. She wore what she wanted. And in her later years, she wanted to wear a large brim hat because she was so tired of people leaning in to kiss her so she wore a hat that would keep them out of her personal space (laughs) who is this are they modern um ish modern ish i have no idea who this is i am doing alice roosevelt (gasps) and she is a bananas person (laughs) and i am 
through the roof <laughs> with doing Very her. exciting. And so this is Teddy's daughter. Teddy's daughter. Thank you. I was yeah. like, there's so many so, Roosevelt's. I'm swimming in them. They're from the Oyster Bay <laughs> Roosevelt clan. <laughs> Perfect. I'm very aware. Everybody from New York understands um, that. <laughs> that. That's it. Everybody else is like, what the fuck is Oyster Bay? <laughs> Isn't that where Typhoid Mary was? <laughs> um, okay, wait. Who, what does your person look like? Okay, so my person is a petite black woman who has very expressive facial features, and she usually has short hair. She has always been seen as an old woman, even though at times she was in her 20s. <laughs> if she was off stage, she would be wearing the latest fashions from both men and women's lines. But if she was on stage, she would typically be wearing a patterned house dress, a house coat, mismatched socks, slippers, and a big floppy hat. That's so weird that we both have a hat <laughs> I in know. our description. Wait, who are you doing? Mom's Mabley. <gasps> I don't comedian. I don't know who that is. I've okay. never even heard of that person. So most people now know who she is because she made a really amazing cameo, you know, played by Wanda Sykes, oh, which we'll get to okay. in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Okay, 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 okay. So yeah, she is like this amazing icon of comedy. But nobody knows who she is. Okay, so it's really exciting. Um, but yeah, because I've been wanting to do uh, like some prominent female comedians for a while now but i was like i feel like i should start with her because she really started it all okay so very i love that a comedian (laughs) and alice (laughs) and alice and alice do you want to know what you're drinking yes i do so i decided to do a take on a dark and stormy (gasps) um but i'm calling it chaotic good love that and at the end you can tell me i personally think that she's chaotic good but i think (laughs) that some people think she's chaotic neutral and some people think she's chaotic evil and you can tell me by the end what you think but i'm calling it chaotic good we might okay change it. so it is two ounces of dark spiced rum mm-hmm. um, a little bit of lime juice uh i use ginger ale instead of ginger beer but okay. you can do either um a lime wheel and then to change it up a little bit i put in some maraschino cherry juice and mm, a maraschino cherry love that so i really wanted to like Make the dark and stormy a little bit fruity also. Ooh, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Mm. Just like nice and clean. It tastes like a vanilla Coke. Yeah. <laughs> I, it does. I love a dark and stormy. Mm. And it's funny. You're right that the spiced rum is making the ginger ale taste like Coke. Yeah. Coca-Cola. Oh, it's so It's a good. cherry Coke. Yeah. I, mm, I love a dark and stormy. Mm. I love spiced rum. It's yeah. just the most delicious thing in the world. <laughs> It is, and it's it's a relaxing drink, and it's really easy on the palate, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I'm excited about it. Uh, It's delicious. Thank you. So what do you know about (laughs) Alice Roosevelt? I don't know anything. Yes. Like, yes. Okay. I'm so, I was so like, glad. I'm so glad. You were like really excited. And I was like, yeah, Alice. Like, I don't even know what Roosevelt she is. Okay. So, okay. But if she's Teddy's daughter, it means she's probably wild. So that's what I know is that she's now Teddy Roosevelt's daughter and she's from Oyster Bay. Right. Because anybody who's Teddy Roosevelt's daughter is going to. Anyone, anyone who's Teddy Roosevelt's anything is going to be wild. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) And we're going to talk a lot about Teddy. He's fully involved in this story, like, almost the whole way through. Perfect. Um, So let's get started. Okay, let's do it. My sources are a YouTube video called Alice Roosevelt Didn't Give a Crap. (laughs) 
obviously my friends over at Floatist Forever. Um, also, the Alice Roosevelt biography um, that came out most recently in the 2000s. I read pieces of it, but then also listened to a lot of book talks from the author oh, of okay. that to try to like get my bearings. So, Alice Lee Roosevelt was born in the Roosevelt family home in Manhattan, which is now called Sagamore Hill. <laughs> but at that point, it wasn't. Her mom was Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, who was a banking heiress. And her dad was Theodore, who was a New York State assemblyman. So amazing. Also, you should know, as an Oyster Bay Roosevelt, she was a descendant of the Schuyler family. <gasps> like Eliza what? Schuyler. That's crazy. It is crazy. I love that. And this is the area of Long Island where Theodore's family had like their summer home. Mm. And I, I think it's the only, um, Oyster Bay is the only county in Long Island that goes from shore to shore. Like okay. it spans the entire island. Things we need to remember about Teddy. He was like a sickly little child. Uh, and his parents were like, no, you won't. And made him take on boxing. And he like boxed the asthma out of himself. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he was really big and bold. He had a crazy temper that he really couldn't control. Um he would tell people not to ask for permission, but just to do stuff. And then Congress would have to pay for it anyway. So, oh like, don't let them vote on things. He, he really is like the Ron Swanson. He's insane. He's, he's on Mount Rushmore and on our money, but is not a founding father. Have we ever thought about that? He's just, like, all over the fucking place. I was just trying to double check in my head that he was president. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh-huh. Okay, he was. <laughs> I feel like there's some people that, like, you think of like that, like, Ben Franklin, like, yeah. wasn't a president. So I feel like he's, like, the Ben Franklin of presidents. Right. Like, everywhere, but wasn't actually what you think he was. Right. So I feel like him and Ben Franklin are interchangeable. Yeah. On the monies and the mountains oh, and And, and the personality as well. Yeah. <laughs> They're both. Crazy. Um, I mean, he was so nuts that he at one point challenged this like young soldier when he was president in the White House to a boxing match. <laughs> this young soldier knocked his eye out of his head. Like, whoa, his whoa, eye whoa. detached. Teddies? Yeah. Ugh. His eye detached from his retina. He went blind in one eye, and the soldier's like, oh, my God, I blinded the president. And Teddy's like, good old boy. <laughs> like, good job, friend. I hated that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you that turned my stomach so hard. Well, if that's you one of my th- biggest fears. <laughs> if you think growing up in his shadow is hard, <laughs> Alice shat on his sh- on his <laughs> shadow just constantly. So two days, two days after Alice was born to her mother, Alice, her mother died of oh, no. kidney failure, and eleven hours earlier, Theodore's mother died. Mm. So Teddy, who kept an extremely detailed journal, got two telegrams back to back that his mother died and then that his wife died because he didn't like rush home for the delivery like a psycho. Right. And that he has a brand new baby girl to raise. Um, So on that day in his journal, he just put an X and remarked later that the light in his life was gone. Oh, my God. Um, so how did he react? Like a drama queen, of course. <laughs> he did not stick around to do all of his politic duties, but he went out west. So Theo was very distraught over his wife's death, much like um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, like throwing himself on the bed, right. like falling. <laughs> um, 
he didn't like to think about her. He didn't like to talk about her. He never spoke about her ever again. He wouldn't allow people to mention his wife's name mm. in his presence. He omitted her from his autobiography. Mm. Therefore, his daughter Alice was called Baby Lee by her middle huh. name and not by Alice. And she continued through most of her life to go by Miss L hmm. rather than Alice. I love the name Lee for a girl. It's really cute. Mm. But hers is L-E-E. I like the L-E-I-G-H. Oh, I prefer the L-E-E. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Guess we're breaking up. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> so he doesn't just go out west for like a little bit. He spends two years out there living in North Dakota. Um, and he just left Alice in the care of his sister. So she, he doesn't like meet her. And she's just being raised by her Aunt Bammy, who's like a spinster at the time and is like a powerful, you know, wealthy woman. But uh-huh. he would write letters to her like, I hope Munchkins or Mousikins is like uh-uh. doing well. I surely will love her. But he had never met her. So he like doesn't love her yet. Right. So abandoned, which Aww. is weird. I hate that. Yeah. So his sister, Bammy, has a big impact on Alice, who would later speak of her saying, if Aunt Bammy had been a man, she would have been president, (laughs) which is enduring because she loved to talk shit on her dad while he was president. She trolled everybody in Washington and was like, she's the Roosevelt that should have been president all the time. So she lived in her aunt's Manhattan house with all of these books until her dad got married again. Theo married a woman named Edith Kermit Caro. Now, Edith and Teddy had been young sweethearts, and they broke up, and he went to Harvard and met his wife. Okay. And Edith is like, fuck, like, hates that she was thinking, like, we'll break up, and he'll go away and be sick without me, and then come home to me. But he went and met somebody married her, Mm. but then she died. So now he goes back to Edith, his, like, childhood sweetheart. So Edith and Teddy call Aunt Bammy, and they're like, can we please have Alice move back in with us? Like, Mm -hmm. we should raise her. So she does end up moving back in and having five step-siblings, like younger half-siblings, I guess. Five Mm -hmm. younger half-siblings. Her favorite of which is Teddy Roosevelt Jr., but that should have been her name, Mm -hmm. in all honesty, after you hear his story. (laughs) Aunt Bammy remained a really important figure in her life all the way through, and after she, Aunt Bammy, died, Alice became Teddy's, like, political advisor, because Aunt Bammy had been before. Okay. So... Now she's growing up with her dad and her stepmom, but she would run to her aunt when she needed her. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that tension, her stepmother, Edith, had known her actual mother, and it was clear that she definitely held a grudge because her mother was really, really beautiful, but her stepmother considered her mom to be stupid and childish and at one point told Alice that her mother would have bored Teddy to death (gasps) if they were still married. Is she Aunt Marge? Like, what the hell? Why speak ill of the dead? And why say that, too? Because Teddy wouldn't talk about her. So this is the only information she's getting about her mom? Oh, my God. That's so sad. Also, like, he must have really liked her when the fucking light went out of his life. Out of his life? Out of his life! He came back to you because he had nothing else. Oh, my God. I hate this. She's like the classic evil stepmother. (laughs) She is. She is. It's just not a nice thing to say. And then also Alice 
is living at Sagamore Hill, which is not only all the Roosevelt half-siblings, but also all the Roosevelt cousins, which she hated, (laughs) which puts teenage Eleanor in the mix. Alice could not stand Eleanor Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor was quiet and studious and serious, and it just pissed Alice off (laughs) to no end that everyone loved her and, like, would bow at her every request to learn more things. And Alice was like, God damn it, this piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Remind me of Eleanor's place in all this. So Eleanor is Teddy's direct niece. It's his brother's daughter. Brother's daughter. So this is her first cousin. And Alice and Eleanor, to the end of the day, are at each other's (laughs) throats. And we love Eleanor Roosevelt. Love her. But I love this side of the story that you, everybody has that family member that everybody like dotes over. And you're like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) She's not that cool. (laughs) I know. The only person who's like actually that cool is cousin Julie. And that's why she stays in Europe. She is cool. But no PhD. (laughs) (laughs) As my grandmother says. She stays in Europe because she can't handle us. We're terrible. (laughs) She's like, I'll come back every three years. Yeah. So because of all of this, like, continuing tension with her stepmother and prolonged separation from her father, she kind of becomes a really strong, independent, like, teenage girl. Mm -hmm. So when her dad becomes the governor of New York and Edith suggests that they, she should go attend this conservative girls' school in New York City, Alice goes to them, and she says, Dad, I know you want to be a politician, and if you send me to this school, I will humiliate you (laughs) and the entire family. I will do something that will shame you so nobody will ever elect you. She fucking blackmailed her parents into not sending her to this school. And oh they they were scared God. of her. So yeah, they, sure. did, they didn't make her go. They were like, <gasps> like I don't even know this girl. Like, she's, she's scary. She's terrifying. <laughs> she would later say that for a stepmother, she was sensible and intelligent and treated me as a child from another marriage. <laughs> she was just like, whatever. It is what it is. So her dad did eventually move on to becoming the vice president. But in 1901, President William McKinley was assassinated. Oh, that's right. And her father took office because he was the vice president. Um, And when she was asked about it at 16 years old going into the White House, they said how she felt about um, this event where McKinley was shot Uh because he was out in public. She goes, sounds like a nice event. Wish I could have been there. (laughs) 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 To the fucking press. What is wrong with her? She's insane. Alice very quickly became a celebrity and fashion <laughs> icon of the United States in her teens. She used her position to break long-standing social taboos for women, but she was also really smart. She never stepped too far outside of the line. She walked it the whole way. Here are some examples of Alice. She sped around Washington, D.C. in a red car and would get speeding tickets all the time. <laughs> when her dad told her that she could not smoke under his roof, She started climbing to the roof of the White House and smoking on top. (laughs) She played poker with men. She bet on horses and won and then invited her bookies to the White House. (laughs) She wore pants 
She hid little bottles of alcohol in her long white gloves and handed them out at dry dinners, <laughs> much to the chagrin of everybody else. She carried a pistol with her and would hang out of a train and shoot at telephone poles <laughs> as she went by. In her purse, she always had four things. A cigarette, a fertility icon, statue, her copy of the United States Constitution, <laughs> and her green snake named Emily Spinach. No, no. She had a pet snake. I hate that. That she carried around. Emily Spinach. Spinach because it was green, and Emily because it's named after her snake aunt. <laughs> she didn't like... And whenever things got dull, she would take her snake out just to, like, fuck with people. And just, like, put it on the table while, like, the Secretary of War is like, ah! I would hate that. Yeah. <laughs> All in for hanging out with Alice, except for that. <laughs> except like, for can put, we just go back to shooting put, the telephone can poles? Can Emily Spinach away, please? Yeah. <laughs> Miss Spinach, let me show you the door. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of her parents, America loved her <laughs> they copied her they dressed like her the girls started smoking like her people bought newspapers every day to see what she was doing this sounds as if like or this is what would happen if zelda fitzgerald was the first the president's daughter. daughter exactly and oh this is like God. the same time period so people yeah. are, are obsessed with her um, it seems like she's unhinged, but she's very smart and sassy and yeah. really stays in bounds. People wanted her autograph. People wanted her picture. And people in America started referring to her as Princess Alice. Because <laughs> she's the closest thing we have to, like, a royal yeah. as the president's daughter. Um, this royal persona was solidified when she became the first first daughter to have her social debut in the White House. So she mm. came out in oh, the White cool. House. And she wore a gown of this light grayish blue color, which got named Alice Blue. <gasps> and is still called Alice Blue today. I love that. And it's an interesting color trend because it was apparently also the color of her eyes and also the color of her wedding dress. So there's mm. a lot of stories of why it's named Alice Blue, but apparently she wore it all the time and then so did everybody else. Love it. At first, hundreds of people wanted to come see her and then thousands wanted to come see her. One newspaper alleged that she had stripped down to lingerie and had a drunken orgy in Rhode Island. <laughs> that never happened, but it was tabloid life. Like, oh, she yeah. was Paris Hilton. Like, oh everybody gosh. wanted to be her. Mm -hmm. She was the center of attention in the social context of her father's presidency and attracted all the attention, which is interesting because she later said of her father, he wants to be the bride at the wedding, the corpse at the funeral, and the baby at the christening, which is exactly what she wants. <laughs> she just couldn't see it. So her dad, who is also very smart, said, well, if you're going to be a princess, I'm going to treat you like one. This is a job. And she became the first first daughter to be a foreign diplomat. Wow. For her oh, dad. That's cool. Uh, a journal in Paris noted that in 15 months of traveling around, she attended 407 dinners, 350 balls, and 300 parties to just be Ugh. a diplomat for her dad. That's the... the <laughs> I just can't even imagine being at that many events. So many <laughs> events. I don't know where you get that many dresses. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, just the energy. Mm -hmm. My God. <laughs> 
the thing that was interesting about Alice, though, is that abroad, she generally behaved very well. Hmm. She took her job seriously, but at home, she was still wild. <laughs> she definitely amused herself in the Capitol by putting a pin on an unsuspecting rich gentleman's chair, she said, and just watched him sit down and get a pin in the butt. I would be awful, too. <laughs> oh, my God. She's crazy. It's almost as bad as Emily Spinach. And also... She would bust into the Oval Office whenever she wanted. <laughs> she walked in. She interrupted meetings. It didn't matter who with or who was in there. And at one point, there was a visitor from another country who looked at Theodore Roosevelt and was like, can you control your daughter? To that, he replied, I can either run the United States of America or control Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. <laughs> And that's what I'm putting on a mug for my oh. father this Father's Day. <laughs> father's Day present for all that's of you. So perfect. Cannot possibly be the president and control Alice. <sighs> but in 1905, he sent her and all of his, like, secretaries of something or the other on a American delegation tour to Asia. Mm. So she's on this boat that goes to Japan, Hawaii, China, the Philippines, Korea, because Hawaii is not a state yet. Mm -hmm. She's in all these islands. This is the largest diplomatic mission the U.S. had ever had so far. There were 23 congressmen, seven senators, diplomats, officials, businessmen, her future husband, mm -hmm. and she was like the head delegate for her dad of all these men on this tour. During the cruise, Alice jumped in the boat uh, swimming pool clothed in her like bloomers and things mm -hmm. like just for fun jumped in um and the newspaper definitely tried to spin this saying that it was her future husband who jumped in the pool with her but that was not true but she was really scorned for this for huh. being distasteful and like jumping yeah. in a pool in your bloomers and she just like came out to the press and was like it's the same as what a bathing suit is it's the right. same fabric like yeah. the same amount right. just shut up and then later in life people brought it up to her and she was like there was nothing wrong with it. No, there wasn't. No. And that's what's not. cool about her is she never takes anything back, oh, which is she's so proud. She doesn't say sorry. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like fuck up. She's like, no, I know what I was doing. Yeah. And I did it the way I wanted to. But she was on this tour, Princess Alice. She met leaders of countries. She wooed them. She went to dinner with them. She visited orphanages. She went to charity events. She shook hands. She kissed babies. That was like <laughs> her role to go and do this to the world. So after going all around Asia with all these senators on this boat, she had met, not met, she had known him for a while, but gotten a deeper relationship with Nicholas Longworth, who was a representative for Ohio. Um, he was 14 years her senior and like a DC womanizer. So of course they're going to get married mm -hmm. <laughs> and they get married in February at the White House. <laughs> A wedding at the White House? A wedding? Has anyone else gotten, like, married I'm not there? not sure, but she got married at the White House, which is <laughs> so fun. It was the social event of the season. She's 22 years old. It was attended by a 1,000 guests, and a 1,000 people were outside to get a glimpse of the bride in her Alice Blue wedding dress. <sighs> then she also was trying to... Get to the point, you know, you're at the reception, you have so much to do. People are like, Alice, cut the cake, Alice, cut the mm -hmm. cake, cut the cake. So she goes over to a man, takes the sword off of his belt, and cuts her wedding cake <laughs> with a sword. Oh, my gosh. I love that. <laughs> 
People do it now. Yeah. I guess she made that trendy, too. <laughs> Maybe she did. <laughs> they then left. But they're like their- Lord of the Rings fans or something. <laughs> <laughs> they then left for their honeymoon, which started with a voyage to Cuba. And then they visited the Longworth's home in Cincinnati, which she called Cincinnati because she hated it. <laughs> which same. That's a really good point. <laughs> and then they went to England and all throughout Europe on their honeymoon. They had dinner with King Edward VII. You know, they're just doing it up. But everyone expected Alice to come home and be a married woman and, like, settle down. But she would not do that because no one could tell Alice Roosevelt <laughs> what to do. And Nick actually started to be called Mr. Roosevelt as a joke, <laughs> which Alice thought was fucking hilarious yeah. and did not care. Oh, it kind of reminds me of like the Lucy and Desi thing. Oh, yeah. Mr. Lucille Ball. (laughs) (laughs) So the two bought a house in Washington, D.C., which is now the headquarters of a Washington legal foundation. Um, But the biggest thing Alice got out of her marriage with Nick is that she did become more interested in politics and Mm. learned more of the game. Because now it's her husband. Now she's his confidant, not just her father. Right. Um, So she helped him win his seat in Congress again. But then her dad ran again. So he was the president. When McKinley got shot, and then I think he got elected maybe for one term, but then he wasn't going to get the Republican nomination, so mm-hmm. he switched and ran again under the Bull Moose Party, um, and Alice also switched to help support him, but her husband, who was a Republican in Congress, stayed loyal to William Taft. Okay. So this is a really bad year yeah. for Alice. Her husband narrowly lost his election for a senate seat because she went on stage and supported the other candidate yeah and he lost by 105 votes and then she came out and said i'd like to think i was worth at least 100 (laughs) (laughs) that she lost him 100 of them which is terrible um and then obviously this left a permanent chill in their marriage like you're gonna go after like support your dad no matter what instead of me like that seems kind of terrible so then her dad also lost the election so he's not president her husband's not a senator and she has to go live in cincinnati for a while Mm. and she did not like that but before she left the white house she did the most sane thing she thought she could do and made and buried a voodoo doll of nelly taft in the lawn (laughs) The new first lady. <laughs> okay. Buried a voodoo doll just All to right. be like, hey, there's got to be some chaotic something <laughs> happening. I don't like you. I don't like that you're taking my house that I've lived in since I was 16. <laughs> Here's your damn voodoo doll. And um, that would get her banned from the White House. But this is not <laughs> the only president that banned her from the White House. There were others. <laughs> Woodrow Wilson, also in the future, would ban her for a bawdy joke she made at his expense <laughs> that he didn't like. <laughs> she and her husband both had affairs Mm. despite the fact that they were married until his death um alice was with a man named senator william bora it is generally agreed upon and now been proven that this other senator is the father of her only child oh shit paulina longworth um we have a coded 300 letters that they wrote to each other that have recently been decoded from before during and after the baby saying that longworth his name is on the birth certificate and raised her, but her lover was the dad. Mm. She was renowned for her wit and humor, but um, 
She took it a little too far when she asked her husband if she could name their daughter Deborah because William Bora was the name of the her lover. And her husband was like, you are not naming our daughter Deborah. Like, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not stupid. <laughs> I know it's not my daughter. But then all her friends and family called her Aurora Borealis. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> because they knew who she was with. Yeah. Um, but Nick, again, he did raise their daughter Paulina. Mm. 1920 was so, the 20s in general were so good for her. We're out of World War One, which she's an isolationist. She did not want to fight in Europe. Yeah. Her lover was in charge of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Her husband became the Speaker of the House. (laughs) Her favorite brother was assistant to the Secretary of the Navy. It was great. But then the Great Depression hits, and Nick died and left her in more debt than she would have liked. So she goes, you know what? Who cares? I'm going to appear in some cigarette ads and appeared in ads for Lucky Strike cigarettes oh my gosh. to make money. <laughs> and then um, she wrote her autobiography, um, Crowded Hours, which is was rave reviews yeah. about this book. So even though her father and husband were out of the running, she made it very clear that she had a lot to say about her cousins in politics. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote, a syndicated column against FDR and the New Deal oh that gosh. went out like every week. And this is the time when Democrats and Republicans became modern Democrats and Republicans. Democrats okay. are like the socialist party who have big government uh-huh. and Republicans are becoming more conservative and like, you know, narrowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, she could not handle Eleanor being the first lady. Oh. She just fucking hated it. And she just came out and said, politically, his branch of the family and ours have always been in different camps. And we have the same surname, and that's all we have in common. I'm a Republican. I'm going to vote for Hoover. If I wasn't a Republican, I would still vote for Hoover. Ooh. Rough. And in response to him arbitrarily going off the gold standard, she showed up to one of his parties covered in gold (laughs) all over necklaces earrings tiaras shiny crowns and the newspaper said if fdr could have taken alice in it we'd be out of national debt and some it would have been over oh my god she also famously in the paper said that fdr was one-fourth mush and three-fourths eleanor (laughs) and like could not handle him but Alice made an impression really on everybody in Washington. At one point, this really wealthy guy started a, quote, grassroots campaign. And she said, yeah, the grass of 10,000 country clubs. Oh, I love that. Yeah. She also, when FDR ran for his third term, said, I'd rather vote for Hitler. Whoa. <laughs> Which is not okay. <laughs> I think that's when you're talking about, like, the, like, a bridge Woo! too far. <laughs> We're not voting for far. Hitler. No, thank you. Um, she also said that this one politician, Thomas Dewey, looked like the bridegroom on a wedding cake, and it was so demasculating that he lost his next two elections. <laughs> Anything she said, people hung on. Her daughter, Paulina Longworth, married a man named Alexander McCormick Sturm, and they had a daughter named Joanna. But then Alexander died in 1951. And Paulina tragically took her own life. So Alice's daughter took her own life overdosing on sleeping pills. Oh, my God. That left Alice in the care of her granddaughter, which she very quickly took on 
in a very similar way that Aunt Bammy raised her. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be this older single woman who, like, gets you through life. Yeah. When Joanna's friends later in life remarked on it, they said Miss L was a wonderful father and mother for Joanna. Mostly a father, though. <laughs> she really hated Democrats, but just like the rest of America, she was in infatuated with the kennedys <laughs> and i think it was just the first big political family since her family yeah so it just seemed i think she just looked at them and was like oh this is so cool like the next generation right it's them again and she, her and bobby <laughs> kennedy were like best friends oh! they would like bop around washington dc and just make each other laugh <laughs> it was so, so weird she also developed a genuine relationship with a little man named Dick Nixon oh <laughs> and gosh. helped inspire him to run to be vice president. Ooh. He was the <laughs> pallbearer at her daughter's funeral. She was at the White House dinner the day of his daughter's wedding. Like, they were very, very close. However, their friendship really faltered after the Watergate scandal when he quoted her dad in his resignation speech. He said, he like quoted something that he said on the day he lost his mother and wife about it being the darkest day. And she's oh. like, that's, don't you dare like talk about my mom and my grandmother dying in comparison to the Watergate scandal. Yeah. That's disgusting. And I hate it. Cause like those are things that tragic things that happened. This was your choice. Right. You made this choice. He did, however, say she's the most interesting. No one, no matter how famous, can outshine her. Both Nixon and Kennedy said that she was their favorite dinner guest. She didn't like Senator Joe McCarthy. And when he came up to her and said, hello, can I call you Alice? She said, the truck man, the trash man, and the policeman on the block may call me Alice. You, Senator McCarthy, can call me Mrs. L. <laughs> because she didn't give a fuck. Um, she also just stayed being a political powerhouse in Washington. People had tea with her every day. They would come to her house, sometimes invited, sometimes not. Not just politicians, astronomers, scientists, artists, Supreme Court justices, journalists. Everybody wanted to talk to her. And in her room, she had a pillow embroidered that said, if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit by me. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> what a fun thing. It's like famous that she had this <laughs> pillow in her tea room that was cross-stitched. Misty, get on it. We need a cross-stitched pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. In 1955, Alice fell and suffered a broken hip, and then the following year was diagnosed with breast cancer. She did undergo a successful mastectomy at that time, and then, like, 15 years later, in 1970, underwent a second mastectomy for her other breast. Oh, my gosh. And then said that she was Washington's only topless octocanologist. <laughs> President Carter was the last sitting president of her lifetime, and she refused to meet with him because she just didn't like him. <laughs> I just feel like he's such a Billy Graham. She probably felt like she could smash him like a yeah, bug. probably. Um, but President Carter wrote, she had style, she had grace, and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers to Washington wondering which was worse, to be skewered by her wit or to be ignored by her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> After many years of illness, Alice died in one of her homes on February 20th, 1980. 1980. 
80. 80. That's insane. <laughs> Just eight days after her 96th birthday, she was buried in Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C., and to date is the longest-lived child of any U.S. president. Wow. She knew every president from Henry Harrison to Gerald Ford personally. <laughs> she attended every convention for both parties for 50 years. <laughs> she had a tart tongue that she used to troll everyone in D.C. And she um, never turned it on the defenseless. Only used it for powerful men who needed to really get a kick in their britches. <laughs> and um, she used her speech and her talk to change the way that women were viewed socially and politically in the United States. She was 96 years old when she died in 1980. Mm. That's Alice Roosevelt. I am obsessed with her. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I also had to look up like a picture of her because I couldn't like, isn't she adorable? She's gorgeous. Lovely. The one of her in the yellow skirt yes. with like the white top and just like looking over her shoulder. She is so lovely. So and just good. her wide brim hat in her older years. Like you could just tell how great she thought she was <laughs> and yeah. how great she really is. Absolutely. No, she deserves all of it. <laughs> um, so I just thought she was a great like season closer Ugh. because she is one of those people who I've always been like, okay, I'm not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I think she's totally, like, chaotic good. Mm-hmm. Because this is the thing. She is just so refreshingly honest. And that's what I really liked about her story. Like, yeah. She's like, you know what? I fucking like gossip. So I'm going to put a pillow in my house <laughs> that says I like gossip. Because, like, I do. And I'm not going <laughs> to. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Like, <laughs> I think that yeah i i'm i love her it's it's so interesting because she she was easy to talk to yeah. it's not like she kind of sounds crotchety at some points mm-hmm. but that's not it like she loved to talk to anyone she just didn't suffer fools she was like yeah. if you're a fool i'm gonna say you're a fool yeah like if i don't agree with you i'm gonna tell you why yeah and like that's why her and bobby kennedy like they didn't have the same political opinions but they got along right and i think it goes back to that honesty because she was honest with other people and she was honest with herself and you know I think she had that kind of like yeah I'll talk to you but like I'm not gonna have a relationship with you because like I'm not gonna lie to myself and say that I like you yeah (laughs) I think she respected people and herself too much for that yeah which I can really appreciate and I I don't know what is Teddy Roosevelt's biggest legacy her or national parks (laughs) I like cannot it is a (laughs) toss-up the country or Alice I can't do both (laughs) perfect well we have another drink to get to and we will be right back goodbye Back with Ep Cocktail 2, Part 2. We have a sunny little number here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you want to know what you're about to drink? Yeah, I do. It's so cute. It kind of looks like a Manhattan, but it's not. Trick or trickers. That's so perfect because it's called Mr. Mom's Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to do kind of a twist on a Manhattan. Um, so it is bourbon and then half an ounce each of orange juice amaretto and sweet vermouth Mm -hmm. and then orange bitters um and then you garnish with an orange peel and a maraschino cherry so cheers cheers. 
Oh, it's so nice. Mm. The amaretto changes the taste so much. It really does. And like, I just wanted to add, like, cause I was saying, I was like, oh, I'll do like, you know, like a full ounce and a half or something of the orange juice. And I was like, but I don't want it to be an orange juice drink, yeah. you know? And I feel like it, I don't know, adds that little bit of acidity, but also sweetness and yeah, I really like it. Orange juice <laughs> changes things. It really does. <laughs> All right. So what do you know about Moms Mabley? I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I don't know a lot about, like, comedians mm-hmm. in general. It's not just, like, a genre I know a lot about. Um, I'm assuming it's kind of a niche reference if it's in an Amy Sherman Palladino yeah. show <laughs> because she loves niche references. Yes. <laughs> um, and then to just, like, bring people to life, that's very interesting to me that she's in Marvelous Miss Mabel. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming then that she had a life in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. <laughs> that's what I know. So, again, Moms Mabley is, like, she is the first female stand-up comedian. Okay. And she's very cool. But the problem is, is there isn't a whole lot on her personal life. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories that we get um, kind of get mixed up throughout the years because we learned a bit more about her personal life in her later years. So I just want to give like a warning because no one tells her story the same or straightforward. (laughs) So if there are just times in her story, I'm like, where the hell did that baby come from or that pregnancy (laughs) or whatever, you know? And like, there's just a lot of that. Um, and I don't think it was on any intentional part of hers to be like, I'm going to confuse the fuck out of everyone. (laughs) I think that she is just a storyteller. And like, she was like, yeah, this is what happened in my life. And if that didn't line up with the census data, people were like, well, you're lying. But I don't think she was lying. I think it's just how you remember your life, you know? Right. So I just wanted to give that warning out there because, you know, if things that I'm saying are contradictory to what you've heard about her or even just contradictory in themselves or come out of left field, like, I just, I'm trying to tell this story as straightforward as I possibly can. So I just apologize in advance. <laughs> um, and really, I was surprised because really my main source is an episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. They were the only ones to, like, tell a more straightforward version of her story. The only other source really out there that I could find was a documentary made about her, but it was only on like DVD and I couldn't get it. It's so frustrating when you're like, why hasn't someone done this? Yeah, exactly. And you're like, then you're doing it. And I'm like, I'm not the one. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, don't choose me, Excalibur. Um, <laughs> I don't want to pull this comedian yes. from the historian <laughs> stone. Um, so, okay, we're going to get into it. Um, I will give warning. There is some sexual violence in um, the early parts of her story, so just be prepared for that. Um, okay. Loretta May Aiken was born on March 19th, 1894, 1897, <laughs> or 1899. <laughs> okay. Her age is a little fuzzy because show business. Uh, when she was younger and wanted to be on stage as early as possible, she said 1894. Mm. Her grave marker says 1899. But the most likely one is 1897 because of some census data we have for the year 1900. It listed her household as having, like, a three-year-old daughter. Okay. But um, she was one of 12 or 16 children born to James Aiken and Mary Magdalene Smith. (gasps) Very bold name. Mary Magdalene Smith. (laughs) Damn. They went for it. They really did. Um, (laughs) 
So James, her father, went by Jim, and he was very popular in their small town of rural North Carolina, um, Brevard. So her father was born into slavery in 1861 with his grandfather, unfortunately, being his family's enslaver, um, which we know is very common, unfortunately. Um, But with the Emancipation um, Proclamation in 1863, thankfully, he didn't grow up in complete slavery. So his family was able to get out when he was really young. It always shocks me when people were born around 1900 and, like, their grandparents were slaves. I know. I forget. Yeah. I forget. And I know it's something I shouldn't forget because it should be, like, in the precipice of my brain, but I do forget. Yeah. Um, so Brevard was a pretty small town, uh, but Jim stood out for his business success and his kindness. They started out in poverty with Jim just making do with selling gingerbread and cider, which was like the cutest thing I've ever heard of. I want to go and buy that. I know. Uh, But he eventually grew his little sapple, you know, cider and gingerbread business and worked his way up to owning a store and a bakery with a cafe inside of it. Just amazing. I know. And he was also a volunteer firefighter. (laughs) So he was always just like running around town, like saving people's lives. Um, And he also used his influence in this small town to open up a better school for the black children in town because they couldn't go to the white public school. So he goes, okay, well, instead of them being housed in this one-room schoolhouse, why don't we make them like a nice building? So he organized that. And even though Brevard was obviously a segregated town, the white residents did not have a problem with Jim. In fact, many of them really liked him. But unfortunately... Jim Aiken died when Loretta was just 12 years old. Uh, he was trying to put out a fire and they, you know, had some weird chemical stuff going on and some of the fire putting out equipment at the time. And one of the tanks exploded <gasps> and he died in the fire, which is so devastating. And for all the reasons we just stated, this was not just a big loss for Loretta. It was a big loss for the community. White and black folks came together to mourn him. They even had a funeral service in a white church because it was the only one big enough to fit everyone. <gasps> and after his paper, many of the local papers praised him, and one regarded him as one colored man who left the world better than he found it. Mm. Which, of course, is like pretty passive aggressive to like everybody else. It's like saying, like, Jim was the exception to the rule that <laughs> right. black people are the devil. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, He's can we not one, do that? He's Jesus the one, the one guy. guy. <laughs> it's like, great. Even in this great man's obituary, you're being <laughs> fucking racist. Um, Surprise! <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that he really was truly a great man. But this left everything, the business and the children, to Loretta's mother. And at this point, she had nine children to take care of. And, again, all these businesses. So Loretta's grandmother stepped um, stepped in to help take care of the kids. Uh, and she did soon get married to another man. And I think they had some more children. So I think that's where we get, like, the 12 or the 16. Um, so now things get a little fuzzy again. Some articles would tell you that shortly after Jim died, Mary died on Christmas Day while crossing the street. Merry Christmas. Merry Magdalene Christmas. Um, <laughs> oh, my. But according to the 1940 census, she was still alive. So I don't really know where that came from. So I don't know if she died on Christmas in 1940 or, like, what happened there. But some say that she died when Loretta was very young. We don't know. <laughs> but we do know that Loretta 
was dealing with more than just the death of her father and maybe the death of her mother at this time. She was unfortunately raped by two men in her neighborhood before she turned 14. Mm. One is reported to have been as early as when she was 11 years old and the other at 13. We don't know the ages for sure, but we do know that both rapes ended in pregnancy and Loretta (gasps) giving birth to two children. No. An 11-year-old giving birth. I hate it. I hate it so much. That is traumatic. Um, Both of these children were given up for adoption immediately afterwards. Um, And then there's like this other rumor that her stepfather was trying to force her to marry an older man when she was 14. I think he was just like... We have too much going on. This would be so much easier. Again, I don't really know. This is kind of, a, a, again, a story she told in passing. Um, but with all this going on, uh, she did run away from home when she was 14. And apparently it was her grandmother who encouraged her to get out of Brevard. Her grandmother grew up in slavery. So she told Loretta to get out because she was going to see the world like her grandmother never did. Mm. She said, put God in front and go ahead. And this would be a motto by which Loretta would live her life. So she moved to Ohio and lived in a house with a pastor and his family next to a boarding house where a bunch of performers lived. Uh, According to one of her interviews, she was uh, raped again when she got to Ohio and pregnant again. And uh, at this point, she was like, okay, I'm in the North now. You know, I'm just going to go to Dayton. I'm going to get an abortion. You know, I do not want to yes, rape with a pregnancy. Okay. This is uncomfortable at this point. Yeah. Um, so she was going to go to Dayton to get an abortion, but something stopped her. She asked for guidance and a voice told her not to go to Dayton, not to get the abortion, but to go on stage. So she went next door and became friends with one of the performers, a woman named Bonnie Bell Drew who was like, yeah, I'll help you. And she helped Loretta find her way into show business because soon Loretta is a young single mother and she needed to earn some money on her own. So she's like, again, like 14 or 15 again with her, the mystery of her birth year too. We really don't know, but Mm. all the sources said she was like 14 when she moved. Yeah. Mid teens, mid teens. (laughs) Uh, And she later named one of her daughters, Bonnie, after this woman. Um, Her first job was for the Theater Owners Booking Association, a.k.a. TOBA, which was a vaudeville circuit for black performers so they could get consistent touring work around the U.S. Some performers nicknamed this company uh, Tough on Black Actors because the schedule was insane. The pay was not that good, and they were performing at mostly white-owned clubs. So racially motivated aggression was frequent. Mm. But Loretta said it was the best place to be to get experience and to learn about show business because you had people there who could teach you the fundamentals of whatever you wanted to learn, such as singing, dancing, and comedy. And... Apparently, you kind of had to learn (laughs) how to do all these things because if someone was sick or injured, the show must go on. Whether you were a tap dancer or not, you were going to go out there and do some bye-bye birdie or whatever that is. make it happen. Make it happen. So uh, some famous names from this circuit include Ma Rainey, Josephine Baker, Sammy Davis Jr. So she's in very good company. Right. She's up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's learning a lot. And right now when she's young, she's just kind of performing little songs, little dances. Definitely not a headliner yet. Probably a warm-up act. 
Um, and of course, traveling had its ups and downs, especially for a young single mom. Uh, apparently, once while on tour, an older performer had been chatting with Loretta in her hotel room when police raided the building. Loretta said that when they found her and this gentleman together alone in a room, they forced them to get married. I'm just like, what is this Bridgerton? Like, that's something that happens in that show. Weird. But I don't think we have any paperwork on this. And she said that he was more of a father figure to her. They never had any type of relationship. So I also don't know if this was something that, like, maybe they they had to lie and say they were married to the police. I don't really know, but just another one of those weird little stories. (laughs) Um, so she's traveling in their country. She's earning about $14 a week, which is not enough to support her and her child. Uh, even with her mother helping her out by sending her money. So this young couple who are also on the Toba circuit, see that this girl needs some help. So they take Loretta under their wing and they start mentoring her. They work on her act and her business know-how so she can negotiate for herself to get higher paying gigs. They're like, no one is going to do this for you. So you have to do it yourself. Jody and Susie Edwards, AKA Butterbeans and Susie were a song and dance comedy duo um, they were a married couple and their combi- their act was a combination of like marital quarrels, comic dances and racy singing. Uh-huh. Apparently their best song was I want a hot dog for my role. Wow. <laughs> that is devious. Yes. Um, so they got her on a different vaudeville circuit called, uh, I think it was a Chitlin circuit and they help her develop an act for herself. And soon she starts going by her first stage name, Jackie Mabley, apparently named after an ex-boyfriend. She said, Jack Mabley took a lot from me or took a lot off me. The least I could do is take his name. Oh, no. (laughs) But either way, she needed a stage name because her oldest brother told her that she couldn't disrespect the family name by being like a vaudeville star with it. If you had to pick an ex-boyfriend's name as your stage name, mm. what would you pick? Oh, gosh. i probably, like, changed Dylan's to Dottie Moran. Ooh. I feel like Dottie Moran's a good one. Yeah. What's yours? Probably Theron Jenkins. Mm. I would take – I would take – that's a good one, I think. Would you change the first name to, like, a more feminine name? No, because I think um, Theron um, – oh. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, what's her face? What's uh, Charlize Theron? Yeah, yeah. I think like people associate that with a woman now. Yeah, I love that. I might change Jenkins. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's very happily living in Nebraska, married to a beautiful woman. It's great. Ooh, Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. Wild, isn't it? <laughs> That's weird. Ooh, okay. Still friends on social media. It's That's fine. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but I would totally. I would use his name as a stage name, just to spite. Yeah. In spite. In spite. <laughs> so it's 1925, and she is officially being billed as Jackie Mabley. And the character of Jackie Mabley is very unique. Even though Loretta was in her 20s, Jackie was a woman in her 60s. Loretta modeled her after her own grandmother, and she would typically be wearing a floppy hat, a house dress, maybe some slippers or big shoes. And she would kind of waddle out on stage and stand with her back, you know, like a bit hunched over. And Jackie was a complete character. So she's doing a bit. Yes. Okay. Yes. We would later see this replicated by other performers. You know, like I think about like 
Carol Burnett's like washerwoman, you know, mm-hmm. like a complete character. But Carol Burnett had a lot of different characters. This was her only one. Oh, interesting. She never went on stage as Loretta. Never. So she never. didn't have her own stand-up routine. It was just this old woman. It was woman. just this woman. Interesting. Yeah. Is that funny? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. People thought it was funny. <laughs> I just like. I'm just. I'm curious. Like, yeah. No, people loved it. Um, she would sing and dance and tell jokes, pretending to be this old woman. <laughs> and I think that the reason it was really funny for a lot of people because she's entertaining black audiences. So she's like, all of our grandmothers are like this, and they're like, yes, they are. So it's Tyler Perry. Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny because Eddie Murphy did the grandmother in the clump movies. He based it on mom's main play. And then Tyler Perry. So I was two generations off. Yes. (laughs) That is so But yeah, so she created this character and she goes, yeah, like my comedy is as this old woman. Okay. And And I think she was also the first person to like make a consistent onstage persona that was like very separate from herself. Now was her comedy like, I'm old and I hate this. Was that like, was it, I don't, I'm trying to understand. We'll get into it. Okay. Um, she also developed a really particular rhythm of speaking and she really tailored how she told jokes and she would perfect it over time, which I think like, she was one of the first people doing this was like, you know, I'm going to get together with my brother and like, we're going to write jokes for my act and I'm going to say them in this cadence and in this way and really like weave it together and make a story and whatever. So, and I want to be clear what she's doing right now is groundbreaking. Well, because stand up comedy is a braided narrative. Yes. They're telling three stories at the same time yeah. and they all come together at the end. Exactly. It's always amazing. Yeah. Every time you're like, wait, how did they do yeah. that? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's writing. It's like, yeah, it's, it art. is. It's so cool. And there were already a lot of things that set Jackie Mabley apart, but one of the most important things is that this was the first time a woman performed as a comedian on stage alone. <gasps> If women wanted to be on stage, they had to be singing or dancing, or if they wanted to do comedy, they had to be part of a duo like Butterbeans and Susie. Like, I think about that part in The Marvelous Mrs. Mabel, Maisel when, you know, she kind of, like, gives up on stage for a little bit, and Susie finds her doing, like, parties with that guy, and they're kind of acting like a duo, and she's like, you're better than that. Like, you don't need to be a duo. Because that was the only avenue for a woman for a bit was to be paired up with a man. But Loretta said no. She's like, Jackie is a solo act. So, like, I don't have a partner. I'm, like, a single old woman and yeah. very Maybe proud of she's that. she's a widow. <laughs> you don't know. Um, it didn't take long before she got rid of the song and dance and just really stepped into just doing a stand-up comedy routine. And soon she also swapped out the name Jackie for moms after fellow performers kept calling her the mom of the vaudeville circuit. She would help people with rent money or rides home or just even if they just needed someone to talk to, she was always there for them. She was a really caring person. Soon, she not only got more popular with fellow performers, but with audiences as well. She performed in famous comedy clubs, such as the Cotton Club and the Ubangi Club, alongside 
the great Gladys Bentley. Everything in the Cotton Club was a great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like Gladys Bentley, there was a lot to be said about mom's gender performance and sexuality on and off the stage. So you may not think of a house dress and slippers as particularly sexy, but it was the juxtaposition of her appearance as this like old frumpy woman to what she was saying that was getting people's attention. So she didn't swear or anything, but she did make a lot of like racy jokes about her attraction to young men. She liked to say the only time an old man is useful is if he's bringing me a message from a young man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I also love this. She said, if you see me with my arms around an old man, it's because I'm holding him down for the police. (laughs) She just loved making jokes like that. Like just well-crafted, funny, timeless things that, that, you know, were really risque for her to be saying as a single woman on stage. Because the fact is like, Mom's Mabley was single. And I think we should also say that Young was 30s. Right. Right? Like, old is, like, 60s. And yeah. a young man is, like, 30s. Yeah. So, and... I like, think often I'm like, oh, these girls in high school having sex with these boys, like, they're, they're not getting service. That's <laughs> terrible. Oh, definitely not. No, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, and that's why I love that she was kind of pointing that out. Like, yeah. she was like, you know what? I'm here to have a good time. And, like, she was talking to her actor, like... You know, I was married to an old man, and then he died, and thank goodness for that. (laughs) So, again, she's kind of telling this fictionalized version of Jackie, but also weaving in some personal things and just making jokes that are just really fucking funny and kind of scandalous for a single woman to be saying on stage. And she would also then weave in things like racism and sexism and politics and people think that the only reason she could do this was because she was dressed up as an old woman and they're like yeah like mom's Mabley's not threatening you know like maybe Loretta is when she's you know out on the town but like mom's Mabley no she's an old woman you know she's just funny and like so she could kind of get away with talking about things that other people couldn't because she's also playing again like a character uh, and apparently her sexual persona offstage was even more interesting. Loretta was said to have affairs with men and women throughout her career. According to Wikipedia, she openly declared herself to be a lesbian in 1921. But I'm not sure if that's true because a contemporary of her said that they never referred to her as gay or homosexual or with any kind of term. Um, they said, no, we just kind of started calling her Mr. Mom's. <laughs> Um, because she dated around, dated men and women, and also wore men and women's clothing. Sometimes she could be seen out on the town wearing these gorgeous velvet dresses with pearls around her neck and a ton of makeup on. And other times she would be wearing a handsome suit, you know, with short cropped hair and a fedora hat. And that was just what she was wearing that day. Like, she just didn't care. Like, Mm. she just wore whatever she wanted. So... In the 30s, moms, which is what we're going to be calling her now, it's been kind of confusing because you're going back and forth between, like, Loretta and Jackie and moms. <laughs> right. But, I mean, but I think it I, it makes a lot of sense, like, her personality versus, like, the stage personality versus... Is it... 
It's a lot. She's a big package. She's a, yes, she She's is. She's a big, big package. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I was like, I just want one solid documentary. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you please weave it for me? Can you braid it? Please. Can you braid it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the 30s, Moms was well-established, and uh, she's honing her act while also booking some other types of gigs. She started appearing on Broadway, performing for more white audiences in such shows as The Fast and the Furious, which was apparently a play on Broadway in the 30s, which Zora Neale Hurston wrote for. Shut up. I mean, where was Vin Diesel? You know, (laughs) where's Paul Walker? Dead. It's sad. But you know how I love The Fast and the Furious franchise. I've never seen one. It doesn't matter. The second <laughs> one's the only one you need to say. Too fast, too furious. <laughs> Not Tokyo Drift? No. I've never <laughs> seen Tokyo Drift. Oh. But just the, that DVD is the only DVD producer and I owned when we were, like, first married. So we've seen Too Fast, Too Furious <laughs> about 50 times because it's oh, all yeah. we had. <laughs> I loved it. Remember when we were poor and dumb? <laughs> <laughs> to paint a picture, <laughs> Allie and Jake were a young, dumb couple. And so they would go, like... Because, again, like, you guys didn't have any money. None. So you guys would go to fucking Blockbuster. Blockbuster. And when they were going out of business and buy nice. their, like, dollar DVDs. Yeah. And you just, like, had a banging DVD collection for a while. I mean, obviously, it was a little scarce to begin with. Right. With just the Too Fast, Too Furious. Right. But, it was. <laughs> but it was funny because that's exactly what it is. They were going out of business and they couldn't have nobody would rent these movies so we would buy them for a dollar <laughs> and but too fast too furious jake and i producer and i quote that movie to each other <laughs> every other day <laughs> like something will happen and we'll look at each other and just say a quote from that movie <laughs> that's it. it is so stupid but it is wor- tyrese is in it ludicrous is in it mm. paul walker is in it I mean, it sounds like a... Should I just skip Fast and the Furious and go straight to Too Fast? Don't watch the second one. Don't watch the third one. Only Too Fast, Too Furious. Wait, you said don't watch the second one. No, not the first, not the third. Okay, don't watch the first or the third. Just the second. Yeah, perfect. Just like me and Jake. Second children. Uh, Best all around. (laughs) Skip the first or the third. (laughs) Just go to the second. (laughs) That was fucked up. (laughs) is it because sometimes the second's the best like in indiana jones not when you're talking about your children (laughs) first is the worst second is the best third is the one with the hairy chest everyone knows what you've never heard that no katie everybody out there tell me i'm right that's a common saying (laughs) okay um so (laughs) Another uh, thing she was on in was Swingin' the Dream, which is a jazz musical rendition of A Midsummer's Night Dream, which sounds incredible. <laughs> she also had some small film roles like Emperor Jones, Killer Diller, Boarding House Blues. And in most of this stuff, she's kind of playing a mom's type character, but she's also working on her solo stand-up, and she's becoming more famous for her stand-up than these things she's being in. So she's like, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on that, obviously. <laughs> In 1939, she became the first woman to solo headline at the Apollo. And she rubbed the stump? Oh, yeah. And I think she still holds the record for the most performances at the Apollo from any single artist. Amazing. That's fucking cool. And she would sell out the theater every time she was there. 
And because she's performing for the same people on a regular basis, she was getting really good at developing new material quickly so that people didn't feel like they were seeing the same show over and over again. Soon, she was nicknamed the funniest woman in the world, and she was making around $10,000 a week. Oh, my God. Is she Melissa McCarthy? Yeah. (laughs) And as the 50s and 60s progressed, she kept her audience entertained while also addressing the civil rights movement and the things that her audience was caring about. She would raise money for charities, including this one that was designed to give financial aid to students who had been arrested during civil rights protests. Uh, She raised money directly for the Selma March and the March on Washington. She was an active member of the NAACP and attended the White House Conference on Civil Rights in 1966. So I want to be clear that, like, it's kind of, again, the lines get blurred. But, like, we talk about, like, moms performing. But, like, Loretta is doing those things. Right. Loretta is raising money for Selma and the March on Washington. Loretta is a member of the NAACP because I think it's easy to conflate her and her character especially when she does become an old woman yeah (laughs) you know um she was also uh into prison reform she performed frequently at prisons so they wouldn't be left behind uh she even recorded an album at sing sing on rikers island (laughs) the 60s also saw this exact evolution of the recorded comedy album which was huge for many comedians including moms Her first album was called Funniest Woman Alive, and it was recorded in 1961 in Chicago. It was a huge success, and by 1972, so her first one's in 61, this is in 72, she had recorded 19 more albums. What is she doing? I don't know. (laughs) She's like Ryan Seacrest. She needs a show a day. Yeah. A live show a day for her. Her Her second comedy album got to number 16 on the Billboard's chart, and it was the most successful comedy album by a woman for at least a decade, maybe more. Then she started to make her infamous television debuts. Her first appearance came in 1967 when Harry Belafonte produced a TV special all about black comedy in America. He's like, there is a whole nother world of comedy that we aren't seeing, like that other people aren't seeing. Right. I would say we, he's not white. Um, (laughs) But he was like, he said, this program is meant to demonstrate not only black people's humanity for the white world, but to inspire joy and laughter within the black community. He's like, look at these people as human, see that they are talented and funny, and also, like, let's have a good time while doing it. Amazing. Right. Um, then she became a fixture on many TV shows, such as the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, The Carol Burnett Show, oh! and The Ed Sullivan Show, among many others. And what TV did is it really broadened her audience, which led to her booking larger, more diverse venues, such as the Kennedy Center. Which is, again, uh, well, actually, hold on this first. In fact, in 1962, she became the first woman to headline at Carnegie Hall. The first woman to headline at Carnegie Hall. That's amazing. But what's interesting is that she has been performing for around 50 years at this point. So she's kind of like, okay, thanks for catching up with me, but I'm already like a well-seasoned, like very famous performer in my own community. And it's interesting because... 
she's not a young woman portraying an old woman anymore. She's just an old lady. (laughs) And I think this is when the personalities really kind of meld together. Um, And she decided to use this to her advantage. Her costumes got a little more mismatched and a little more funny. Her facial expressions were enhanced by her wrinkles. And she would often take her dentures out when she performed just to make her seem more old and crazy. (laughs) In the 1970s, she spoke out openly against the Vietnam War. And she asked the government if she could go over there and perform for the troops, but the government wouldn't allow her because she was too old. She Lame. said, I know. She said, probably good for it because if they let me over let me over there, I would just say, come on, children, let's go home. <laughs> she got involved in the political campaign of Shirley Chisholm, hosting some fundraisers for her. And in 1974, Moms made her final TV appearance at the Grammy Awards alongside... 30-something-year-old Chris Christopherson. <laughs> she asked him what the name of his hit song was, which he responded, it's Help Me Get, help me Make It Through the Night. She said, if you could just make it for a half an hour, that'd be all right with me. <laughs> they went on like that for about five minutes Sing! before presenting the award. <laughs> um, and then in 1974, she also starred in her first big movie called Amazing Grace. She is the main character. She plays a widow named Grace Grimes who tries to influence the mayor- mayoral election in Baltimore, Maryland. Woo! The whole thing takes place here. But unfortunately, she a was dream. getting older and she had a heart attack during the production of the movie and had to have a pacemaker put in. And I think she had more that she wanted to do, but this movie would be her last performance. Loretta May Aiken passed away on May 23rd, 1975 in White Plains, New York, maybe at the age of 78. (laughs) Again, it's a little up in the air. Uh, She was survived by four children, not including the ones she gave up for adoption, uh, and I believe five grandchildren. 500 people attended her funeral, and the marquee at the Apollo was changed to read Harlem Mourns, Moms May Blame. And at her funeral, it was noted that if she was white, she would have been known 50 years before. Mm. And it seems to me like she created this space for women in comedy that is very specific. And I think it was necessary for women to get into comedy. And it's that of portraying a character on stage. I think it kind of allowed women a safe space to kind of come into this male dominated world and talk about the difficulty of being a woman in a man's world and the bullshit that people put up with while doing it in a funny way and in a non-threatening way. Mm. And, uh, you know, the greats we still talk about today, like Phyllis Diller and Carol Burnett, they did, they did just that, you know, they portrayed characters, I think to make it easier. Like we talk about that with Lucille Ball, like Lucy on the show, like, course it's her but there was also a lot of blurring between her and her character you know she's like my life's not really like this and I think that moms maybe started all that of Mm -hmm. like putting a little bit of separation between your career and who you are as a person which I think really opened it up for women in a way that wasn't there before um but we are still feeling the effect of her pioneering work today 
Um, she is known as one of the mothers of stand-up comedy. Like, the, apparently the term, like, didn't even exist before her. Like, <laughs> and up, girl. she has inspired, like, the, the attitude and the cadence of performers since, and they base how they tell jokes off of her. And in, uh, in many modern comedians say that she was a huge, huge influence on them. You know, like Eddie Murphy, Wanda Sykes, um, you know, Whoopi Goldberg. These are all people who she greatly influenced. In 1983 and 1984, a play was developed on her life called Moms, and it brought to prominence an up-and-coming actress who had always been inspired by her named Whoopi Goldberg. She would catch the eye of Steven Spielberg, and he cast her in his new movie, The Color Purple, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. (laughs) In 2013, Whoopi produced a documentary about moms called Whoopi Goldberg Presents Moms Mabley, Um, but I could not find it, (laughs) so I didn't get to watch it. I'll call her. It'll be fine. Call her up. Uh, in 2017, say, oh, happy day. <laughs> That's what I'll do when I call her. It'll sure. Be fine. Yeah. Or I'll just start spouting lines from Lion King. Yeah. It'll be fine. I won't, it'll be normal. Uh, in 2017, Wanda Sykes got to portray moms in an episode of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And she said it was a dream come true. Wanda credits Moms Mabley for getting her into comedy. She said she would watch her on TV as a child and do impressions of her then and just to go on to play her was just such a great honor. We may never know how old she was, what her sexual orientation truly was, how many children she truly had, but it doesn't matter because she made people laugh and what's better than that. Mm. And that's the story of Mom's Mabley. <laughs> what a great story. I know. It was so hard to tell because like, it's a little bit all over the place. And then I feel like the story starts off as being Loretta's and then turns into Mom's, you know? And it was hard to... No, like, I, I wanted more info on Loretta. <laughs> no, I think it's actually such an amazing story. And I think these two women have so much in common mm-hmm. that I did not expect. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which is, it's really nice. And yeah. I, I just... I mean, what an amazing pioneer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're the person who's performed most at the Apollo of anyone else, like, what an iconic theater, not only for America, but for, like, black America. Oh, absolutely. That's so fucking cool. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So now we need to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I think the number one thing I want to say is Alice was a comedian. Ooh, uh-huh. Like, she nailed sarcasm. Yes. But she had to ring her sarcasm in to, like, rich white women. Yeah. Sarcasm. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there is a real big connection there on, like, looking at the world and seeing what's funny. Because that's what stand-up comedians do. Yes. And they also, I think, were so intelligent that they could make things that maybe were kind of difficult comedic and they could break the tension a little bit. You know, I think that Alice did that really well. Like she was like, okay, Washington, the white house, all this bullshit, it's stuffy and let's fucking get it out in the open then. You know, it's like, again, the pink elephant, name it. Yes. Let's talk about the pink elephant in the room. And I think that mom's maybe also did that. She was like, Mm. okay, 
we are experiencing racism and cultural divides in this country. So, like, let's get it out in the open. Let's talk about it. And if you want me to do it, fine. If you want me to do it as an old woman, yes, I will do that for you. If this makes it easier to pal, like, if this makes it more palatable. Mm. Um, I, I think they both have, like, a really, I mean, there's a really obvious idea of privilege here. Like, mm-hmm. Alice really, like, went into life with so much privilege and loretta really that's her name right loretta Mm -hmm. yeah okay she really did struggle but they both had strong women guiding them i thought the same thing about like her aunt bammy and you know loretta's grandmother and also like loretta's mom too like she was strong in her own right you know and just these women kind of like pushing them forward when like obviously like Loretta's dad died and like Teddy Roosevelt was just kind of an absent dad but you know I think that they he were was both... just like taxidermying buffaloes yeah doing Katie. whatever he had some buffaloes to taxidermy <laughs> but I think that they were both instilled with this idea of like no one is going to do this for you so you need to do it yourself right and I think it served both of them so well even though like Alice would have been fine. You know, like there was no. If she was an Eleanor, she would have been fine. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like she wouldn't have been out on the streets (laughs) anytime soon. But I think both of them also wanted more from life. Well, it's also why I think it's so important to define privilege not as what you've been given, but what Mm -hmm. you haven't been given. Mm -hmm. Because I think that Alice was privileged. Oh, yeah. But uh, by, by so much. But also it's like. She was like, she took that privilege and she said, fuck it. And I am going to like throw it in all of your faces and use it to my regard. Yeah. Whereas we have moms, Mabesley, Mabesley, moms, Mabesley. I'm so (laughs) (laughs) Where she is like, okay, I like, I'm in a bad spot here. I've been, you know, assaulted, sexually Mm -hmm. assaulted multiple times. I've had multiple children I've had to give up. And I'm still fighting forward in that way. These in the privileged way, these women are so different, but in personality, I think they would have loved each other. And I think they also blur gender lines, both of them, so you much. know, like they're wearing pants. They're doing things that like, aren't considered ladylike. Brand bookies you know? to the white house. Yeah. And <laughs> I think both of them did it in different ways, but I think they both were again being like, That's a masculine thing, but I like it, so I'm going to do it. And Mm. I don't think that either of them did it for anyone but themselves, Mm -hmm. which I think is also an important thing to note. You know, I think that there are some people like, well, I want to be taken seriously, so I'm going to dress like a man. And I think both of them are like, I don't know, that's just what I like doing. Like, I'm just going to do it. I don't care what people think. But, yeah, and I think they also blurred lines of sexuality. And, like, she's like, yeah, I'm going to openly have affairs. I'm going to name my daughter after her, after my lover and not (laughs) as, like, a... Yeah, I don't care. I'm like, going to throw shade at my husband, my dad, yeah. every man in Washington, Senator <laughs> McCarthy. Fuck them. Because I think she was on the inside, so she knew. She's like, all these people are having affairs. Why can't it be a thing that I'm having an affair too? Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think that she ever did anything 
I think she did it because she wanted to, not to be like, I'm going to make a grander point about this. I'm going to cheat on my husband. You know, she wanted some good I think sex. She wanted some good sex, and she went out and got it. And she I wanted think, a what was the thing? I want a hot dog in my. <laughs> she wanted a hot dog in her bun. <laughs> I want a hot dog in my bun. So they're straight, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, and I think that that's what moms did too. I think she's like, yeah, I'm going to do what feels good in my life because, like. Other people have tried to take that away from me. And I think that's another thing they had in common in different ways, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have people trying to tell Alice to act right. And then you had people literally assaulting Loretta, you know, and trying to take that away from her. And I think it's so powerful that both of them were able to get through various degrees in which we try and take sexuality away from women and they ran with it. And then people tried to replicate them. Yes. That's like the back end of it. Yes. Is that like people were like, I'm going to wear Alice blue. I'm going to smoke in the streets. I'm going to have a pet snake. I'm going to be fucking terrible to my father. Which yeah. like I, all of those things I'm fine with minus the snake. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, people who would be like, I'm going to replicate my comedy after this woman because yep. she is like laughing in the face of people yeah and you know there's a great quote that she had where she was like oh yeah she goes everybody steals from moms but moms also comes back with stuff even quicker so (laughs) you know she's like basically like i can generate new material so much quicker than people can steal it from me Mm. so i don't know i just and i love that they laid the grounds for women to come after them you know i was thinking about like eleanor was kind of the first female secretary of state (laughs) Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. She's a diplomat. She's going around and she's representing the United States. Alice. What did I say? Eleanor. Dang it. Sorry, Alice. She would have hated that. But Eleanor also (laughs) was like, what I find really funny about this is that these are two very powerful women Mm -hmm. that didn't get along. And I love that part of their story. Yeah. I don't think it takes away from you if you don't like one of the women we've covered. No. And I don't think it takes away from me if I am, like, I currently have a very powerful female boss who I hate. Yeah. She, she like, mortifies me. I, like, think she's a bad person. (laughs) I don't want to be around her. But, like, also, she's amazing. Right. But she's just not me. Yeah. And I think, like, Alice and Eleanor have that thing. But you're right. Alice is the first female secretary of state she's going overseas she's meeting with people she's seeing the world the same way that her grandmother told her go see the world yeah yeah and And at that point an african-american woman go see the world is go to new york be in apollo be on the stage yeah and like i think it's awesome that like loretta moms did get to travel all over the place right and she got to really Live a li- she did exactly what her grandmother said to do. She was like, go out, fucking do it, do it and, and do it for yourself. Mm. You know, I don't think that, yeah, I don't think that moms or Loretta or <laughs> Alice did anything for anyone else. And that's Only for what I love so most about them. So <laughs> what a great way to end the season. <laughs> I know. I think the number one thing we need actually is an AI mirror of Alice Roosevelt that a president has to stand in front of every morning <laughs> and that just like tears them down. Uh, I would love that. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall, make Alice tell me it all. <laughs> and then they just like 
and then mom's is right behind them and kind of puts them on her shoulder (laughs) and she's like you are a fucking idiot but you also deserve a hug but you're a president so i'm gonna hug you like good for you yeah this would be a perfect invention maybe i'll do it yeah all right well you ready to toast i am ready to toast uh ali who would you like to toast this evening Tonight, I want to toast the impractical, 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 <laughs> improbable, impossible women and <sighs> just the people that have to deal with them. I love that. Cheers. Cheers. Who do you want to toast? I'm going to toast funny women. I think that funny is hard. Funny is hard. Um, comedy is not evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really hard to gauge what's going to hit it's hard to read a room it's hard when you've gone too far which i (laughs) alice definitely did and i'm sure moms did too on occasion and i think it's hard so i want to toast the funny women because it is very brave to try and be funny i think because you have to put yourself out there and you have to accept that it may not go so well all the time (laughs) cheers All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So, uh, I'm re-watching Gilmore Girls Mm. with my kids. And, like, we tried it in the past, but I think just, like, this is funny because I didn't even intend this with the Miss Maisel thing, but, like, Amy Sherman Palladino writes and is so precise on the way that people read her lines. Yeah. It's so quick. We put on subtitles. Like, there's so many jokes that are going to go over the kid's head and my head. Mm-hmm. Like, they're so fast. But I just love watching the girls watch Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Like, it is fun to see somebody go through it. Now that they're teenagers and they're yeah. in middle school and they get to, like, really live through hating... What's his face? Dean. No. We, we do hate <laughs> Dean, but who's the other one at Chilton? Oh, really fucking uh, Chadwick. No. Michael Chad Murray. Yes. Chad Michael Murray. Chad Michael, <laughs> Chad Michael Murray. And it's Tristan. Tristan. And it's fun. I'm watching it right now. I can't remember his name because I fucking hate him. <laughs> it's just fun to watch. I don't know. I really like it. I just think a rewatch with anything you loved as a kid, but watching yeah. your kids watch it or watching nieces and nephews watch it is like fun. Like, yeah. if you don't have children of your own, like offer a night of babysitting and just yeah. be like, hey, let's watch this together. And like, have a time, which also know that you're going to talk the entire way through it. Yeah. Nobody watches things with kids. You just talk it. Yeah. That's why I am excited because, you know, I have new nieces and nephews now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing this all over again. <laughs> Mamma mia. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here I go again. Mama. And uh, I don't think that, like, you are so on top of showing them the classics, but I don't think that mm. their mom is. So, like, mm. I'm excited to be the aunt to Fine. show them the movies that they yeah. need to watch. Like, I was thinking about how much fun it's going to be when, like, I get to show them, like, 101 Dalmatians because it's my fucking favorite so and I good. love it. You know but, what yeah, I love I've never that. seen, if you want to have a sleepover, they've never seen Aristocats. <gasps> You showed me that movie when I was older. Do you remember that? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'd never, because my, we were dog family, so yeah. we didn't watch Aristocats, I was a nothing family. I had no pets. 
No, I do want to have a sleepover with the girls. Soon. Yeah, because I feel like I'm that. missing that. They've also not seen one Audrey Hepburn movie. <gasps> I've been saving that for you. Thank you. I'm not going to do that. Okay, I will say one of the things that breaks my heart is like they're old enough that they don't need a babysitter anymore. So mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have like a reason to hang out with them. Um, they don't even want to <laughs> hang out with me anymore, Katie. It's really distressing. <laughs> I have to like force it. I got to be like, I thought you could get this dog out. <laughs> So I do want to have that because they also have never like, you know, I just I've never had like a sleepover with them. Oh, they would love that because they also like if you guys are going away, like they stay with one of our parents. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. we have well, to make that want, happen. I, we don't have to go away for you to take them <laughs> <laughs> and have them any fucking day you want. <laughs> Perfect. Um, OK, so I am going to so recommend now that you're part of our babysitting plan. Yeah. Everyone, sorry, everybody. <laughs> sorry. We'll cut that. So, um, I'm going to recommend, speaking of women in comedy, this sister duo from Great Britain called Flo and Joan. Stop. They are a musical comedy duo. Are they They so funny? They are so fucking funny, Allie. There is a song that they have that I'm going to make you watch when we get done with this. It's called I Drank Too Much. (laughs) And this song chronicles a woman's night out drinking and things just get crazier and crazier <laughs> but it's the catchiest song i've ever heard nail head it's perfect <laughs> i've been wanting to like send it to you all week but i was like no i want to wait i want to wait it's so funny they're so british and i'm obsessed with them so <laughs> flo and joan the song i drank too much they're so cute and wonderful and i love them perfect all right that's it for us but it's not doesn't have to be it for you. You can find us on all the social media platforms. You can also find us on Patreon. And if you find us there, you will get bonus content. Bonus content. And we listen to you and we ask actually ask for your advice, which we got a lot of good advice <sighs> this week about next season. Yes, we did. So we're gonna get in a little planning bubble. Um and we are definitely gonna take some of these ideas into consideration. There yeah. are some that I was pretty excited about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited. And we really need you guys and you're so amazing. But also we like you everywhere. Yes. And if you wrote a book, you can be a part of our show. If you haven't written a book and you just want us to interview you, <laughs> that's fine too. That's a really broad thing to throw out. I don't care. <laughs> All right. We love you. Goodbye. So long. Oh, and never forget. Oh, shit. And never forget that well-behaved women (laughs) wear slips under their skirt. And they rarely make history. Alveda Zane. (laughs) Adios. Okay. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye